Our gracious Father, I thank you for the wonderful promises of your word. I thank you that as you have taught us over and over again, that while there will be many things in this world that are difficult, there will be troubles, there will be trials, there will be difficulties, your faithfulness and your love and your grace are constantly at work. And your call upon our lives and your desires for us don't change. And as we begin a brand new year of 2024, I thank you that we got through 2023. Uh, I am so glad to see that year in the rearview mirror, Lord. And I look forward to what you have for us today and in the new year. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So every year on the first Sunday of the year, we have a bit of an update, right? We have our meeting after church today. Um, and then we talk about our vision for the new year. And we do this because Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Simply put, we need God-directed vision and direction in our lives and in our church and for our families and for our community so we have his path to walk before us. And as I was praying about our vision for 2024 and thinking on and praying over what we, our vision was for 2023, I felt like the Lord led me to expand on last year's vision. So we're going to do a quick review of last year's vision and move on to what I feel the Lord is leading in 2024. Now, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a little preface. It's not a grand vision. It's not, you know, the Lord has spoken to me, lightning has struck. I'm not going to make any prophetic predictions about where we're going to be a year from now. Because I don't know. I mean, if we're really honest, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I have ideas, but who knows? That's between, that's up to God. Well, he'll do whatever he wants to do. Um, I will be very honest. When we began 2023, I did not expect that year. Not even a little. So moving into 2024, I am cautiously optimistic. But I'm, I don't know. And what we're going to talk about today with the fun little acronym I came up with is with just what I think the Bible is teaching us to do. And so as we move into 2024, because it's a leap year, last year was PDA, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, this year we're going to leap. So in 2023, our vision and mission was comprised of three things. To share the gospel or invite one person to church per month. That's the P. To spend one day per month praying and fasting for revival in our church and awakening in our valley. That was the D. And then engaging in one act of service per month inside or outside the church. That was the A. And this year we'll build on those ideas uh, using the acronym LEAP. The L is to love God and love others, right? Pretty simple. The E is to be empowered and equipped. The A is abiding apprenticeship. And the P is passionate participation. There will be a quiz. So if you will make your way up to Mark chapter 10, 
We'll dive into L. Ooh, I went past it. I was thinking in my mind, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then I saw Luke, and then I saw John, and realized that. Pages must cooperate. Wow. There we go. Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. That's not right. Wow, that's absolutely not right. Nothing but professionals here. Ooh, that, wow. Where is it if it's not Mark chapter 10? Maybe, is it Matthew chapter 10? I'm looking for the passage where we're given the two greatest commandments. To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, if I don't find the reference off the top of my head, we'll be okay. Is it Matthew chapter 10? Anybody? Anybody? It's not Matthew chapter 10. Wow. All right. Well, if anybody finds it, please let me know. Um, one day, there was a, a, a keeper of the law, or a, we call them a lawyer, um, who came to Jesus and asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus responded with, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the, the lawyer, uh, who was an expert in Jewish law, he replied to Jesus and he said, well, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord our God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, depending on your translation, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is a quote from Deuteronomy 6. It's part of the Jewish prayer we call the Shema. That's Hebrew for Hero Israel. And the other one is... Is it Luke 10? That's what I said. <laughs> Luke 10. Is it verse 28? Or is it earlier? Or Mark 12. Well, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and Luke 10, 27 and Mark 12. Something. Wow. Yeah, one of the scribes. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm sorry. We're not. Okay, we're always like this. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but usually I at least get scripture right. One of the scribes came up to him, and they were disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, speaking of God, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Mark 12. The word love is in Greek agapeo. We are familiar, most of us, with the word agape. It does mean 
unconditional love. And it comes from a root word, which is really beautiful, because it literally means to breathe after. Right? You, you are so in love that you breathe after them. Your breath is a representation of that love. It's just a beautiful, beautiful word. And we're told, which is our L, to love God and love others, which builds on P from PDA, which is to share the gospel with or love or invite one person to church. And we're to love God here with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The word for heart is cardia. That's why if you have a heart attack, you have a cardiac arrest. Or, a, 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 oh, what's the big word? Myocardial infarction. Um, and the word there, though, doesn't mean our physical heart. It is the center of all of our thought, feeling, and emotion. I think one of the things that a lot of people tend to get out of whack is we, do, we forget that God is an emotional God. We, we tend to see God as this impersonal being of the universe. And I know not everybody, I'm just saying commonly, that, that's, that's often seen and often thought. But he has an emotion. Just read the scriptures and, and see the things that we see. Uh, there, there's times when he's pleased and he says so. There's times when he's angry and he says so. He doesn't sin like we do when we're angry, but we see the result of that. There's times he calls himself jealous. Jealousy is an emotion. He tells us how much he loves us. Love is an emotion. God is emotional and he wants us to love him with our thoughts and feelings and emotions he also wants to love us with all our soul and the word there is suke distinguished from spirit or the state of merely merely being alive this is where we get the word our word psyche this is the ends essence of who we are and when we love God with the essence of who we are, it speaks of a wholeness. This whole passage speaks of a wholeness because we have emotion, we have the essence of our psychology, we have our mind, our mental faculties, we have our strength, which is literally meant to talk about physical ability, right? It talks about a wholeness of our love for him. Because one of the things we tend to do and I know I do it, and I'm trying not to, and I'm asking God to help me not to, but is to compartmentalize our Christianity. Right? When, I'm, when I'm at work, or I'm at Walmart, or I'm playing pickleball, or, it's, I had to say it, or <laughs> whatever it might be, I'm this person. But when I'm at church, well, then I'm a Christian. And that's not how we're supposed to be. There's a guy by the name of uh, Parker, Parker Palmer who wrote an incredible book called The Hidden Wholeness. And he, he delves into this topic of how we try to separate things. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I can be a little more vulnerable in my house with my wife than I might be with one of you if we were out having coffee, Right? I will say things to her that I am not going to say to you. But as a follower of Christ, the way I act at home and the way I act in public and the way I act at church or when I'm shopping or when I'm alone 
and my office should be consistent. And that comes from a wholeness that we can only find in Christ. Um, wow, I did not mean to talk about this, but we're going we're gonna to turn up to 1 Thessalonians real quick. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means to be set apart for a purpose, and the word completely there does speak of wholeness. Uh, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fun theological argument. There are two camps. One camp says that the soul and spirit are the same thing, that we are body and then soul or spirit. The other camp says that we are body, soul, and spirit, that there are three aspects to who we are. I ascribe to the second one that we are body, soul, and spirit, and I do so because that's what the Bible says. Um, he wants us to be sanctified completely, or God to sanctify us completely, in our spirit, which is pneuma, our soul, which is suke, and our body, which is soma. Three different words, three different aspects of who we are. Our body is our physical body. Our soul is like what we're talking about here, the essence of who we are, our consciousness. And our spirit then is that part of us where we connect with God. Now, apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, we cannot be whole. Because we're only firing on two of three cylinders. In Christ, we are made spiritually alive, adopted into the family of God, given a new purpose, a new calling, a new life, eternal life, forgiveness, sanctification, and everything else that's so beautiful and wonderful that comes with our salvation. And it's only there that we can be whole. And here, Back in Mark chapter 12, we are being called to love him in that wholeness. We don't just love him with part of ourselves. We love him with all that we are. So we love him in heart. I'll go back. We love him in heart. We love him in soul. Then we love him in mind. Dionoia, and it speaks of our mental faculty, our ability to think, know, understand, and imagine. Has anybody ever told you, or have you ever heard somebody say, well, I, you know, I, I can't do this faith thing. I'm a person of reason. I'm a person of intellect. I told you the story about the, the waitress that we had a conversation with, gosh, six, seven months ago now, where she was wearing this necklace and she said, oh, it, it, it represents angels because I believe in angels. And then my friend asked her, well, do you believe in God? No, I believe in science. Wait, can you give me the scientific evidence for angels? You can't. Um, you have to believe. But when we love God with our mind, I think something a lot of people try, they use it as an excuse. Oh, well, Christianity is just blind faith. And I need, you know, I need evidence or I need proof or I need this or I need that. That's a person who hasn't truly investigated the claims of Christ or the claims of Scripture and, and looked at the incredible things that the Bible speaks of long before scientists ever figured it out. I mean, the Old Testament talks about ocean currents. 
long before science ever figured out that there were ocean currents. The Old Testament speaks of the water cycle. I believe it's in Ecclesiastes that the water comes from the ocean, waters the land, goes into the rivers, and goes back. They observed that, but they didn't really have a name for it. We call it the water cycle. We know what it is. The Bible said that the earth was round. The Bible said that the earth hung on nothing. Where people of ancient times, you know, whether it was the Greeks who thought Atlas was holding up the world, or uh, I believe it was the Hindus uh, that thought the world sat atop four elephants that rode on the back of a giant turtle. Hey, if you don't know, you got to come up with something. But what did God, right? You get, I believe it's in the Psalms. I wish I had all these references in front of me. Where the world hangs on nothing. God hung it on nothing. And they knew all these things. Oh, yeah, well, you believe in the resurrection of the dead. Absolutely, I do. Well, you can't prove that. You can't disprove it. It's one of my favorite arguments. And realistically, if we look at how things are proven based on evidence, we have a vast amount of evidence, both inside Scripture and outside Scripture, for the resurrection of Christ. It would hold up in court with the evidence we have for it. Now, of course, there's a point in time where evidence falls short, and we have to believe. And the Holy Spirit quickens our heart and brings us to a place, of, a place of faith in Christ. And we believe in him. But we don't have a blind faith. And the idea that we should disengage our mind, disengage our intellect, in order to be a follower of Christ is ridiculous. We are here commanded to love him in that way. To love him with our mind. And then our strength, iscus, I-S-C-H-U-S. And this is very simply all of our ability. When you put it all together, to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, we are to love him with everything we are. In every aspect of our lives, at every moment of our lives. And what that then leads to is loving others. Those are the two commandments. You want to know how we, we follow what the Bible teaches? Love God with everything you are and love everybody else as you would love yourself. That seems simple enough, doesn't it? Now, by show of hands, please don't raise your hand. How many of you do this perfectly every day of your life? None of us do, which is why we need number two. And number two is that we are empowered and equipped, which builds on D, prayer and fasting. E of leap, empowered and equipped. We're called to be empowered and equipped by God through his word, by the working of his spirit, and to be equipped in much the same fashion so that we can love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we can love others as ourselves. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But God is the one who does the strengthening. God is the one who gives the power. God is the one who qualifies us. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19, we have a similar prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Twice here in Colossians and Ephesians, and that's only two examples, Paul prays very simply that we would be empowered by God. Very simply, that we would, by our knowledge of him, by prayer, by our understanding of his love, by our understanding of how he qualified us for salvation, that we would be given his strength, not our own. I had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine yesterday, and I'm very blessed uh, to have this conversation. Uh, He just came to Christ uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I was talking to him yesterday, and he's just going, going through a rough time. And he just, one of the things that he said, and this resonated with me so much because I, I deal with the same thing, is he said, I just feel so inadequate. I feel like I'm letting everybody down. And I shared with him 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul asked God to heal him three times of the thorn in the flesh, And finally, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul adds, I will boast all the more in my weakness. For when I am weak, he is strong. Because we sang it in in one of the songs, All I Can Give. I can't do this on my own. We're going to talk about that in point number three here in just a moment, but but we can't. And not only can't we, we were never meant to. We were never meant to do it by ourselves, right? We all, I think everybody drove here today. Anybody walk? Um, and, and when you get out in your car, you, you start your car, and why does it work? Well, because there's power in the battery that gets the starter to turn the engine over, and then the gas goes in there and explodes, and boom, the car is running. I know that's kind of simplistic, but I'm not a mechanic. It's close enough, right? But that's the idea. What happens if the battery doesn't work? Right? If your battery's dead, does the car start? No, there's no power. What happens if the gas tank is empty? Does it start? No, because there's no fuel. We're no different. We need the power of God at work in us. We need his power and grace fueling us because we simply can't do it by ourselves. And with that empowering, we then need to be equipped. One of the things that I hear a lot of people say, and it's been very popular in Christian circles forever, is that, well, you know, I can't do that because I'm not qualified. (laughs) Yeah, join the club. Right? Or, you know, I don't have the right background. I don't have the right education. or, Or I wouldn't know what to say. Awesome. All the better. Because the old quip goes, and you know how much I hate cliches, 
But the old quip goes, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are instructed through the Holy Spirit in the word of God, he will equip us for what he wants us to do. Now, Am I saying that you always can just be lazy and you don't have to work at it or you don't have to prepare or you don't have to study? No, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying, if you're anything like me, you feel woefully inadequate for whatever God may have called you to do. Every Sunday, I am amazed when I get up here that anybody would show up and listen to me. I am amazed that anybody would sing a song that I wrote or that people would call me when they're in the midst of their troubles because they need help and they think I can help them. And I always tell them, it's not me, it's God. But I've, I've been with people on the worst days of their lives, sitting in hospital rooms while a loved one died, and I've been with people on the best days of their lives, dedicating their children or holding them or, or whatever, being at their wedding, watching them make fools of themselves on the dance floor because there was an open bar. <laughs> I'm not a big drinker, you all know that. But I love being at weddings with an open bar because the longer the reception goes on, the dumber people get. And it's fun to watch. I don't know about you, it's just fun to watch. But this is the point I'm getting at. If you are waiting to feel ready to do what God has called you to do, you will die waiting. That's all there is to it. However, if you trust in the empowering and equipping of God in your life, then you can step out in faith and trust that he's going to get you to the other side of it. One of the ways we do that, and we're not going to read it, but in Ephesians 4, uh, it talks about how God has given uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. One of the reasons we are part of a church community is because we are here to be equipped to do what God calls us to do out there. Number three, abiding apprenticeship. And this builds on D again. Uh, prayer and fasting. One day of prayer and fasting. But A is abiding apprenticeship. So now we're going to turn over to John 15. I know this reference is correct. Um, but John 15, and we're going to just read the first five verses. I can do it. John chapter 15 starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you can continue reading. Uh, the next 10 or 12 verses continues on that theme. 
But what John 15, 1 through 5 describes is the life of abiding apprenticeship. And I've been using that word apprenticeship a lot over the last year, year and a half. You can blame John Mark Comer because he uses it. The word for disciple in the New Testament that we see throughout the Gospels and other places. Or the wherever it says, you know, to be a follower of Christ. It's not the idea of like a trailer being pulled behind a truck. But it's the idea of walking alongside as an apprentice with a master. And what does an apprentice do with a master? In Matthew chapter um, 11, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what it means to be an apprentice. Jesus is our master, and we are following him so that we can learn from him. So that we can be more like him. And that's what it means to abide. The word abide, meno in Greek, it means to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. To continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, or tarry. In other words, it means to be there. Right? You abide in your house, which means what? You're there. Maybe you, you abide in work, you know, if you, if you have a, a demanding job. And because you're there, when we abide in Christ, it's because we're there. We're with him. We're walking with him. He's at work in our lives. We're watching him, learning from him, listening to him, growing in him. That's what it means to abide. And when we abide, eight things will happen. And I promise to go through this fairly quickly. When we abide, we will bear fruit. God produces that fruit. We don't produce it, but it shows up in our lives as we are his branches. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit works out in our lives as we abide in Christ. Now, as we abide in Christ and we bear fruit, we will be pruned. Anybody enjoy that? We had a really fun discussion the other day. We bought all the original Superman movies, right? 78, um, 80, 83, and then 87, right? Don't ever watch Superman 3 with Richard Pryor. It may be the worst movie that's ever been made. Um, but we watched them all, and we got to this point where we, we had... You guys know my family. This, we're just weird like this. We were trying to discuss, well, how does Superman get a haircut? He's Superman. Right? You can't cut his hair. And my daughter, Hannah, who's with the kids, she said, oh, well, in the comics, he would cut his own hair and shave with his laser vision. Well, I'm glad somebody thought of it. But Superman couldn't just go get a haircut. We need to be pruned. It's not fun. But as God is work, at work in our lives, he's going to get rid of those things he wants to get rid of to make us more like Jesus. That's what pruning is is uh, you have a plant right and it buds and it blooms and it grows but then one little branch or one little part dies what do you do you clip it off not because you hate the plant but because you want the plant to be healthy and you want it to continue to grow and you want it to blossom the following year we're no different god produces fruit in our lives we bear it we're excited to see god at work in our lives and he comes and he goes all right but this this thing right here we got to deal with this Ah, but he deals with it. Then he comes back. 
right? More fruit. Now we need to deal with this. It's not fun, but it's worth it. When we abide in Christ, we'll bear fruit, we'll be pruned, and we will not do anything on our own very simply because we can't. This is why we need to be empowered by him. Number four, when we abide in him, we will see our prayers answered. I love that statement in here where he talks about, um, uh, oh, goodness gracious. It's up in verse seven, that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not selfish prayers. This is not, oh, Lord, let me win the lottery so I can buy a private island, right? That's not the kind of prayers that are promised. But when we pray according to his will, which is what we will do as we are abiding in Christ, he promises to hear an answer up in the book of 1 John. We will glorify God in our lives by our thoughts, words, and action. When we abide in him, we will know we are loved and we will receive that love. When we abide in him, we will keep his commandments and we will abide in his love. Glorifying him is verse 8. Keeping his commandments is up a little farther. Wow, the pages are so... Um, up in verse 10. And then finally, I ask this question. How can we abide? And he tells us, because we are his friends. Verse 13, greater love has no one this than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what is his command but to love one another? That phrase there is just so beautiful. In verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That statement there, he says that we are his selected dear ones. I love that. We are his selected dear ones. So we can abide in him. And finally, P, passionate participation. And this follows on A from PDA, which is an act of service or acts of service. Passionate participation. When our life is focused on loving God and loving others, and we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit and God's word, and we abide in Jesus, this all forms in us Christ-likeness. And that is the heart of spiritual formation, being with God so we can be like his son. Being with God so we can be like his son. Paul stated in Galatians 4.19 to the church in Galatia, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The word for formed here is morphu or morphosis. We understand metamorphosis, right? That's the roots of that word. But it means to be fashioned and formed until we have a semblance of appearance. To be fashioned and formed until we look like Jesus. God works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, according to Philippians 2.13, and we will start to look more and more like our master. What a beautiful concept. 
How did he do that? Well, one of the things Jesus did in loving and serving his father is Jesus loved and served everyone else. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, um, there was a statement made, and we talked about it a little bit, but the statement was simply this, uh, that Jesus didn't command people to do all the things we talk about as far as spiritual disciplines, right? You have the statement where he talks about building our lives upon the rock, which is to hear and do his sayings, but can you find a place where Jesus says, sit down and read your Bible for, you know, 20 minutes every day? Right? He says, when you pray, right? He assumed we would pray, but you don't see a very specific commandment from Jesus to pray X amount of time or to pray this way. He did teach us how. Right? Did you see a place where he commanded us to take a time of silence and solitude before him? But what the statement was was simply this. Jesus didn't command us to do these things, but he showed us. He demonstrated it for us and then invites us to follow him. Because if we want our lives to be Christ-like, then we're going to spend time with our Savior so he can do that work in us. Now, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be exact but as he forms, as Christ is formed in us by the work of the Spirit and the Word, we will begin to have a semblance. Right? It'll start to show. People will start to see it in us. And in loving and serving his Father, Jesus loved and served everyone else. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So whoever speaks is one who speaks like the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there are similar exhortations in other places like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 uh, and, and more and more and more. But passionate participation. As we become more like Christ by abiding in him, then we're going to do what he did. And what did he do? He loved his father, and he loved and served those around him. I say it quite regularly because it's going to look different for each of us. Right? If you look at me and you think, well, that's, that's ministry. Well, you'd be right, but that's a very narrow view. What I do is my ministry. But this is not all that ministry is. Not even close. Right? Feeding somebody who doesn't have a meal, that's ministry. Talking to your neighbor and offering to pray for them, that's ministry. Mowing their lawn or giving them a ride somewhere, that's ministry. Listening to somebody who's going through difficulty, that's ministry. There's so using your blinker. I kind of think that's a little bit of ministry because that's being kind and loving to the people around you. 
not listening to country music. No, I'm joking. I know some people love country music. But the point I'm getting at is if we do whatever we do for the glory of God, then everything becomes ministry. Last week, as we close, we looked at R.A. Torrey's prescription for, I put prayer, didn't I? But it's prescription for revival. It's not prayer. The prescription included being a community that is thoroughly right with God. Being a community of prayer and a community that is willing to go and share the gospel wherever and however God calls us to. If you didn't hear last week, I suggest you go back and listen. Not because it was all that great, just because these build on one another. And I truly believe that we can continue to fill our PDA by God's grace and strength, moving forward or moving toward the revival we spoke about last week as we leap into 2024. I put in my notes, I know how cheesy that sounds. Because when I wrote it, I'm like, I, I can't say that in public, Lord. But it got the point across, so I left it in. The first step toward loving God is knowing how much he loves you and receiving Christ as Savior. So if there's anybody listening, anybody online, uh, anybody who hears this recording at a later date, and you have not come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not know that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, let me know. Get in touch with me. Leave us a comment on Facebook. Send us an email through our website, newsongunnison.net, but let net, not Nate, net. Let us know. We would love to help you know Christ. Now for the rest of us. Loving God and loving others, being equipped and empowered, and passionately participating in the work of God in our city, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our families, this will all come from abiding. Now this is the wonderful thing about abiding, is that it's not a work, it's a place. We cannot try harder to abide more. You can't do that. Actually, we probably have to try a little less. It's about being with God, following him as our master, learning from him and resting in the work he wants to do in us. This is one of the reasons that the solitude practice we started in Sunday school this morning is so well-timed, and it's not too late if you want to be part of it. I have to order more books. Let me know. I can send you the email so you can get into the group. Um, because it's about abiding. So what I'm not going to do, right, I'm not going to ask you how can you abide better because that's stupid, right? You can't, well, all right, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm just going to, uh, until I abide. No, it's not going to work. What I will ask you is if you are abiding. Are you living your life with God? Last week, we talked about a beautiful word in Hebrew, Hanani. And you can read about it back in Isaiah chapter uh, 6, when God said, you know, who will go for us? And and Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. And the word there for here am I is Hanani in Hebrew. And what it means is to be present with God and to know that he is present with you. 
right? Here I am in this moment in the presence of God, and I know right here in this moment God is with me. And if you struggle with that, as we all do at times, I encourage you to spend time with him and let him remove the things that are keeping you from abiding. That's the pruning that may need to happen for all of us. And, and maybe it's, it's as simple as, as uh, putting your phone down or turning off the television or shutting your phone off if you have to or going out in the woods. Probably not now, it's a little chilly, but you get the picture. And so I encourage everyone to participate in the solitude practice, but you can't abide by trying, but it's just by letting go and being with him. And I struggled for years with this. I would read John 15, I would understand what it was telling me, and I kept trying to figure out how I could do it. It's an exercise in futility. It's stomping on the gas as hard as you can when sitting on a sheet of ice. Right? The engine makes a lot of noise, the back end even wiggles a little bit, but do you really go anywhere? Abiding is different. It's about letting everything go and just being in his presence. And I know that sounds, well, that's easy, right? No, <laughs> no, it's not easy. But just like the pruning, as we work at it, that's the wrong phrase, as we practice it. And we more and more start to understand how we are always in the presence of God. It'll work. It's one of those beautiful mysteries. Don't ask me to explain how it works. I just know that it does. Let's pray. Lord, we give you all the glory for your grace, for your love, and for your mercy. I pray, Father, for each of us that you would give us your grace and your strength so that we can love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we can love others as ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit and equip us through your word so that we can become more and more like our Savior, that we would abide in you, learning from you, growing in Christ-likeness, and then we would then passionately participate in what you've called each of us to do. God, we give you all the glory for your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, for the new year, and for everything that you have before us. Because while we may see 2024 as a mystery, you know what you want to do. Help us to rest in your presence and see your work in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.